Well, good morning to you all. Good morning. Welcome to Providence Reformed Baptist Church, and uh, we're glad that you're all here today. We're glad that this is uh, Lord's Day, and uh, we're glad that uh, all of you have gathered to be with us and to worship the Lord on on his day. So before we begin, uh, we'll start with some announcements. Um, Of course, uh, Brother Allen is delivering our sermon this morning. Uh, Randy Wyatt will be uh, teaching us in the evening. Uh, Next week, we will be hearing from uh, Pastor Allen again, and uh, Josh Roth will be in the evening service. Uh, We, uh, as you're all, I think, aware by now, we are uh, planning the visit for uh, Pastor Gabriel Hughes. Um, He will be visiting in view of a call to ministry uh, on Labor Day weekend, and uh, we'll have uh, formal church events for the whole church, a meet and greet on Saturday morning that weekend, and then we'll have uh, a, um, of course, all day Sunday we'll be uh, worshiping and fellowshipping together, including the monthly fellowship meal that weekend. And um, Monday we'll have a uh, uh, lunchtime, uh, lunch and swim from lunchtime into the afternoon. Uh, that leaves time outside of uh, those those windows for uh, people to meet with him. So uh, Josh Ross in um, part of his uh, administrative responsibilities that he's taken on. Josh Ross will be coordinating to make sure that anyone who wants to meet with him has an opportunity to do so. We certainly encourage you all to do that. So please reach out to Josh um, one way or the other. Um, he's on Telegram, of course, and but uh, you're, you're free to uh, communicate with him in person or, or by phone or by fax machine or uh, however you choose to do that. Um, uh, just coordinate with him. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday night, uh, this Wednesday night we have our small group meetings. So uh, those are at the Pinkman House and at the O'Neill House for the Pinkman House for Alan's group and uh, my group at my house. So we encourage everybody uh, to be. At those uh, those events, and um, this is this is a part of how you invest in the body and uh, how uh, we are members with each other, um, and uh, we are convinced that uh, that um, you know there are certain parts of what we do as a church. Uh, there's not one way to do it, um, but we try to use means. Um, so that we can exercise our responsibilities as, as fellow members. And this is an important means that, uh, that we've chosen as, uh, as your elders to encourage you to be a part of each other's lives, to encourage, um, in, encourage um, and provide opportunity for us to serve each other, um, to bear one another's burdens, to uh, apply scripture to our lives uh, together. So we encourage you to do that and take advantage of that, uh, that opportunity um, the the your membership in the church uh, depends on your investment uh, in in the church. I don't mean that in the sense that that we're going to kick you out. What, what I mean is that the health of your membership, the the uh, the quality of it, its meaningfulness depends on on uh, your investment and 
and, uh, and other people in investing in you and all of us investing in each other. Um, so please, um, uh, please invest in, in the church, invest in each other in that way um, so that we can grow together. Um, and we need, we, we need each one of you to be a part of that, each one of you. We need each one of you um, involved in our lives. And, uh, and, and this is a means to do that. So please take advantage of that, uh, of that means. Please make it a, a priority, not just because we think it will benefit you, but because we think that we will benefit from you as a body. If, uh, when you're a member of the body, the body needs you. Um, and um, we're, so I'm, I'm here as, uh, as one of your elders telling you, we need you to be there. Um, it, and, and not just for Wednesday night small groups, but on Sunday morning worship, at the prayer breakfasts, and outside of those formal things. We have these formal things in place to encourage opportunities, um, but we need you outside of those contexts as well to in, in, um, invest in, uh, in each other. So please take advantage of those opportunities and, uh, and uh, continue to invest in this body. We're grateful that we have an active body that, uh, that cares for one another. When we, we, we want that to flourish um, and to grow. So um, our book of the month is our church confession. Um, and again, just a reminder that if you do not have a, a copy of the church confession, this is a good opportunity and a good reminder to make, you, make sure you have, uh, have a copy. Um, it was, of course, um, published in the year 1689, so I think copyright has expired, which means that there are a lot of, uh, a lot of ways to get access um, to this. And uh, you want it in leather, you can find it in leather. You want it in hardback, you can find it that way too. You can find it any which way. Um, that's the, uh, the wonder of the, of the public domain, and this is public domain, so uh, you, can, you can get it. You can make your own copies. If you take up the hobby of book binding, then, uh, then you can make uh, fancy copies for all of us, um, and no one's going to file a lawsuit. Um, but uh, the, the one that we read from is under copyright. It's uh, uh, published by Founders Press. And because uh, they, they did a good job of uh, updating it to modern English. So that's a great one. Uh, that, that's the one that, uh, that we're promoting as the book of month this, uh, this month so that you can read it in modern English, make it a little easier uh, on, on the eyes and in the, in the brain. So we'd encourage you one way or another to get your hands on a copy of our church confession. Our verse of the month is Proverbs 3, 5. And uh, I think as we go through the process of, uh, of seeking the Lord's um, wisdom in, uh, in uh, potentially calling a pastor, this is an important verse, an important principle for us to keep close to our hearts. Let's recite this verse together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. Praise the Lord. Now let's take a moment to quiet our hearts and uh, to set aside uh, all of the worldly uh, concerns that we have that occupy our attention throughout the week. Um, this is the day to rest from those things and to set them aside and to devote our hearts and our minds to worship of the King. So let's take a moment quietly and prayerfully uh, to prepare ourselves for that time of worship.
Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we come to worship you, to sing praises to your name, to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, we worship you for all of your majesty and your glory, all of your holiness, your infinite wisdom, your mercy and grace. Lord, the earth is firmly established. Your decree is unchanging. And we place our trust in you alone. And we are grateful that you have gathered us here, that you have called us out of the world into this place to worship you and to be in your presence. God, we ask that you would meet with us, that you would send your spirit to nourish us upon your word, to strengthen us in our faith, to build and establish us upon Christ our Savior. Lord, we pray that you would do this in a mighty way by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that our worship would be pleasing in your sight as it is built upon our faith in Christ Jesus alone. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Let's uh, worship by confessing the truth. Uh, and we do this in one voice so that we can stand united upon the truth of, uh, of, of Scripture and proclaiming that truth as we understand it as set forth and summarized in our church confession. Uh, this is the body of Christ confessing his truth together. Uh, let's uh, confess from the 1689 Confession, Chapter 1, Section 1, proclaiming the authority and the power of the Holy Scriptures upon which uh, we are established. Let's uh, Let's confess our faith together. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways to reveal himself 
and to declare his will to his church. To preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, the Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. Amen. Now, let's stand together to worship through song. John. 
so many gifts. You have been so gracious and so generous to us. You have provided for us in every way. And Lord, Lord, even the circumstances of our life that are not what we would have chosen for ourselves, we recognize that you have given them to us for purposes that are righteous, for your will, which is perfect. And you have given them to us unto our salvation. And God, we are grateful for your providence and for your sovereign will so that we know that we are safe in your hands. And God, the reality is we have received so much more than we have ever deserved. And above all, when we look to the cross, we see that we have received mercy beyond measure. We have received grace beyond our imagination. God, what you have given to us freely, without condition, is so much more than we could ever hope to repay. So we do not seek to repay it. Lord, your glory is infinite, so we do not seek to add to your glory. Yet we do seek, God, to please you. We seek to express and demonstrate our love for you and our thankfulness. We seek to worship you, to reflect your glory upon this earth and into eternity, to sing your praises And so, God, we give out of the abundance that you have given to us as an act of worship. We pray that you would be glorified in it. We pray that you would use what we give for your purposes as we seek to uh, hire a pastor, as we consider the future needs of the church and its expansion in growth. Lord, we pray that you would use what we give so that we can be a part of that work of establishing, building your kingdom here in Casa Grande. So Lord, we pray that you would take what we give and that you would use it for your purposes, that your church might be built and the kingdom of Christ might grow and be established uh, right here in Pinal County, Arizona. We pray all of these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Please stand with me and let's sing together a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God.
Justified, oh blessed God, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood and pardon for me, and glorified I too shall be. Complete in thee is what supply, and no good thing to me deny, since thou my poor. Justified, oh blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood and pardon brought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among thy children. Justified, oh blessed God, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood and pardon God for me, and glorified I too shall be. Please be seated. Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 4 today, and then our New Testament will be from Hebrews chapter 2. So Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1 through 9. <clears throat> then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, then they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground, and the, Lord, and, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it, had, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen. Brother Allen. Before we get into the sermon, we're going to pray, and uh, I am sure a number of you probably have heard by now that uh, our brother Sal had to go to the uh, emergency room because he was bleeding from the ear. So we'll be praying for him, and also pray for uh, a number of our people who have been unwell. Uh, thank God we can see Phineas today. Uh, he's been missing a couple of uh, weeks, but we are grateful that the Lord has enabled him uh, to come this morning. So we pray for all those uh, uh, individuals who have been struggling with uh, ill health. Uh, we also continue to pray for the children of the church, and we continue to pray for the um, activities that will be associated with the visit of uh, our brother Gabe Hughes at the end of the month. So let's all join together. Let's bring all these matters in prayer to the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that um, in Jesus Christ, our Savior, uh, a way has been opened for guilty and unworthy sinners like us to be able to come in your presence. We thank you that we do so not because we are good people in and of ourselves. We do so because we are totally and completely relying on the righteousness of your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus. That he alone is the one who grants us access into the presence of the gracious God. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, God has indeed been pleased to reconcile guilty sinners to himself. Thank you that we can find cleansing and we can find pardon through the shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So we come this morning as children of the living God and as those who have been rescued from this present evil world and have been translated into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. We ask our Father that you will hear us this morning for the sake of Christ, who himself is our righteousness. And we bring many requests before you this hour. We pray particularly that you will remember the children of the church, that they might know the blessing of God and that that blessing that will lead them to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray that uh, they will know the work of the Holy Spirit, opening their eyes and opening their hearts to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Savior, who even now 
sits at the right hand of the majesty on high to make intercession for the people of God. And so we pray, Father, that you will be at work in the hearts of our children that they might truly come to Christ and be saved. We pray that as we, as parents, teach them in the nature and admonition of the Lord, that you will bless those means to call them by the gospel from a life of sin and to embrace the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask our Father that you will have mercy upon many of our family members who are still groping in darkness, that the light of the gospel will dawn upon them and that we will be able to rejoice with them one day that they have turned their backs upon sin and embraced our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Our Father, we pray for our brother Sal. We are sad to hear that he had to go to the emergency room, and we commend him to the hand of your grace and ask that you will intervene even now that he might know God's healing hand. We pray that you will be with all those people in the medical field who will be taking care of him. We pray that you will give them wisdom, that they will be able to deal exactly with the issue, whatever that might be, that you will give them a proper and right diagnosis, and they may be able to prescribe the medicine that would be able to stop that bleeding and to bring healing to his body. And in a similar vein, we pray for many of our people who are still struggling with ill health. Continue to pray for our sister Kelly. Pray for our brother Mike. Pray for our brother Phineas. We also pray for our brother Aaron. We bring all these people before you. And we thank you that uh, you are aware of all that they have been going through. And we ask that your grace will continue to abound in their circumstances. That they might truly know God's grace and God's favor in this hour and time of need. We pray, Father, that you will strengthen their faith. That their faith will grow even during this time that they are struggling with ill health. That you will reveal yourself more and more to them and that they will continue to trust upon you and to leave their circumstances in your loving and wise hands, that you will so direct all these situations in a manner that will bring glory to them, but also rather glory to you, but that will also be a real blessing to their own hearts and souls. Our Father, we pray that you will grant this church real spiritual growth, an opportunity for us to be useful in the context of the local church and learning to minister to one another and to take care of each other's needs. But more importantly, that in this context we might learn to serve the Lord Jesus and live for his honor and for his glory. We pray, Father, that we will, with the passing of time, be a beacon of light for many in our 
city, in our county, in our state who do not know you, that here at Casa Grande Reformed Baptist Church, we will continue to lift a banner for Christ and that we might be able to preach the gospel of salvation, that you will grant us real fruit, spiritual fruit, men and women, boys and girls, coming to a true knowledge of God in Christ as a result of the many ministries of this congregation. And this hour, as we now turn to the preaching of your word, once again, we call upon you and ask you to send your spirit in great measure upon us all that we might be able to feed upon Christ that at the end of the day, we might be glad that we came and heard the voice of God speaking to each one of us. And may Jesus Christ alone be honored and glorified because we ask in his precious name. Amen. So once again, I will ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we begin reading from verse 23, and we end our reading at verse 28. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, depending on how old you are, you will remember that uh, there was a, a movement, uh, it's been a while now, but there was a movement that was called Moral Rearmament. And then later on, that uh, movement turned into what was called the Moral Majority. And uh, perhaps in more recent times, it is that movement that is often referred to in political terms as the religious right. And 
perhaps you will also recall that there was a, in that period of time, a lot of talk about what was called Judeo-Christian values. And, and all those were an attempt to call people from a life of immorality to a life of moral uprightness and goodness. Uh, it was a, a movement that oftentimes did not like what you might call the normal religious distinctions, for instance, between evangelicals or the Roman Catholics and uh, perhaps even the Mormons because at that point they were more interested in trying to prove that uh, the majority of the people uh, subscribed to this kind of morality and they did not want the, the things that they perceived as uh, immoral that were threatening to take over uh, society. And perhaps if you read in the New Testament, there is probably no better group of people who were concerned about morality, who were concerned about what we might call Judeo-Christian values than the Pharisees and their friends, the scribes. These, if you like, were what one might call the religious right of the day. And their concern, as far as they were concerned, was this moral uprightness that was based on your own efforts of seeking to live by the law of God. Unfortunately for them, they came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ did not subscribe to their uh, point of view, to, to their world view, if you like, to their thinking, to their belief system. In fact, not only did he not believe uh, their point of view, uh, he often went out of his way to publicly lambast them, to, 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 to decry them and to warn people against them. And, and obviously with time, uh, their hostility against the Christ uh, became more and more palpable. Let me first just give you a, a, a sneak peek review of what is coming in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we just read up to verse 28. Uh, if you just go to verse 37, uh, you find the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ towards the Pharisees and the scribes explained to us. And it says there, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee 
asked him to dine with him. Invited him for a meal. Invited him for lunch. So he went in and reclined at table. Verse 38. The Pharisees were astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So he broke one of their very important rules. And the Lord said to the Pharisee, I imagine you have invited somebody to a meal, and this is what he says to you. Now you Pharisees cleanse the cup rather the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as arms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you lord people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. And so on, and so forth. So the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he had an opportunity, he spoke really against the Pharisees who were the moral, righteous men of the day. And he wanted to show them that uh, morality on its own would not lead them to God. That morality would in fact damn them There are men who are damned by immorality. And yet here the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us that without the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Savior, even morality itself can damn you. It can take you. That was the creed and the practice 
of the Pharisees. They believed in moral uprightness without the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Savior. And Jesus is here to warn them that it's actually a very dangerous proposition to believe in morality without completely relying upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Savior that that whole thing will not only lead you to destruction but at the end of the day it is going to be a mighty failure and a failure that is sure to damn the proponent. And the truth about the Pharisees is that despite their professed morality, the scriptures tell us again and again that they really hated the Messiah sent by God. Not only did they hate the Messiah sent by God. They totally rejected all the proof that both the Messiah and God who sent the Messiah provided to them to prove that indeed Jesus was the Messiah. In this particular context, you remember the Lord Jesus Christ had just rescued somebody from demon possession. And it was such an outstanding miracle that all the people who were there could see that this indeed was a miracle. Unfortunately, the scribes and the Pharisees, as we have already seen from this passage, they did not attack the miracle. They attacked the Lord Jesus and said, yeah, he has performed that miracle because he is doing it by the power of Satan. Now, there's a question here that I want us to answer. It's a very important question, which at the time that we started looking at this particular passage, I did not pay attention to. And I think that this is probably the appropriate point to ask the question. And the question is this. What is a miracle? Now, oftentimes, as uh, you know, people who appreciate the blessings of God, uh, we oftentimes say when a baby is born, what a wonderful miracle. Now, obviously, uh, it's such a wonderful experience to see God's blessing 
when he gives us as a church a new baby. It's just wonderful to see what God is doing. But strictly speaking, the birth of a child is not a miracle. It, it, it is something that happens in the ordinary course of what God has ordained. It's, if you want to use the word, the laws of nature, this is what happened, this is how human beings come into this world. It's, it's, we, we marvel at, uh, at, at God's blessing and God's gift in that way, but that is not a miracle. A miracle is when God suspends, so to speak, the laws of nature and does something that is contrary to nature. In the Old Testament, we have many examples of miracles. Uh, one that comes to mind, you remember, in I think it's in First Kings or Second Kings, you have the, the story of the floating axe head. That, that's a miracle because by its very nature, an axe head should sink. But then it, it is floating. Or the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Here is a person who has been dead for four days. And at the voice of the Messiah, at the voice of the Son of God, he caused Lazarus to come out. And death obeys. And the decaying body obeys. And Lazarus comes out of the grave and becomes a living human being once again. That's a miracle. And the next question then that we ask is this. Is it only a preserve of God to perform a miracle? Or can Satan also perform miracles? Again, I like to say that's a very important question for us to ask. And there have been controversy on this issue for uh, many years. But our concern really should be what does the Bible say? Can we prove from the Bible that only God can perform miracles or the devil also can perform miracles. Now, I don't have the time for us to go through the various passages in the Bible. Uh, I want to submit to you this morning that as far as I understand the New Testament, that Performing miracles is a prerogative of God and of God alone. Amen. Only God can
perform and has performed miracles. And we have, for instance, in the Old Testament, the stories of Moses, the man of God, that this is one of the reasons uh, you recall that God, when he was sending him to rescue the children of Israel from Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the greatest power of the ancient world. And Moses is concerned and says, look, here I am, just a a shepherd. And I go before this august king and say to him, the God of Israel says, let my people go. Or even I go to the Jews themselves and say, he has heard your cry and is now coming down to rescue you. Are they going to believe me? And then God tells him, I'll grant you the power to perform miracles because those miracles are going to confirm that the message you are bringing is a message that is coming from Almighty God. That's how Moses goes to Pharaoh. And that's how Moses goes to Egypt and he performs those many miracles in that period of time. And those miracles changed the whole course of human history. Those miracles changed the whole world. Wherever the children of Israel went, what went ahead of them was the report of the miracles that God performed in Egypt. You recall, for instance, when those two spies went and met the harlot Rahab. And she clearly told them, we are all afraid because we have heard what the God of heaven has been doing in Egypt through you, his people. Those miracles completely transformed the world as it then existed. Now, I am sure that if you are thinking, you must be thinking about a particular portion of scripture which is in Second Thessalonians. I hope I'm right. So I'd like you to read with me Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And the question I'm trying to answer is this. Is miracles, is it the preserve of God or Satan can also perform miracles? And Second Thessalonians uh, beginning to read from chapter 2 and verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way for the day of the Lord, rather for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, 
the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And do you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and force signs and wonders. Yes, the devil does perform miracles. But the apostle is careful to warn us that they are false signs and wonders. True, authentic miracles are only preserve of almighty God. And throughout biblical history, we have been shown again and again how those miracles were performed in order to confirm the validity of the message sent. That is what happened in the time of Moses. That is what happened at the time of Christ. And that is what happened at the time of the apostles. And that was the reason why we read in Hebrews and chapter 2. Because that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 2 is us. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, the salvation brought to us through Christ is the greatest salvation ever wrought by God in the history of the universe. Unfortunately, many human beings neglect this salvation. But we proceed with our reading. He says that salvation was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested, validated to us 
by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ perform so many miracles in the days of his flesh on earth? It was to prove that the message he was preaching was from God. That he was the true Messiah. And why were the apostles given the power to perform miracles? Once again, it was to prove beyond any reasonable doubt this was God's message. A message that has come from God. And God is bearing witness. He is proving to all who can see that this is his message. That is why It is only the prerogative of God to perform miracles. Satan can transform himself into an angel of light and he can do many lying signs and wonders. What he cannot do is to perform an authentic God only can perform miracles and he has done so to prove the message of the gospel. The message of Christ has come from God. And this is why the religion of the Pharisees which was based on moral self-moral uprightness was forced because despite those powerful miracles to prove that this is God's Messiah, this is God's message, they rejected the person by irreligion. They were damned not by immorality. They were damned by religion. They were damned by morality. A morality rejected Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ told them if I am casting out demons by the finger of God, then know this, 
the kingdom of God has come. And they rejected the kingdom of God. They rejected the Messiah sent by God. And they instead called him a servant of Satan. They said of him that what he was doing, those miracles he was doing, he did so by the power of Beelzebub. So morality can be very blinding. It blinds a human being from seeing the Messiah sent by God. And it blinds the man from seeing his own true spiritual condition. Because morality in and of itself concentrates on seeing the mistakes that others, the sins that others commit rather than one's own sins. And that was, again, the classic error of the Pharisees. They were busy telling everybody else how to live. They did not have time to look at their own hearts. And what is interesting in this particular passage is that the Lord Jesus Christ gives them a serious and sober warning that not only is religion something that is blind to what God is doing. Actually, it makes them vulnerable to the powers of darkness. And he warns them at length that if all they have is morality, what is going to happen at the end of the day is that eight demons will run riot in their lives and take absolute control of their lives. But notice also that in the light of that particular warning that the Lord Jesus Christ gives them, there is a contrast that looks <coughs> introduces us to in verse 27 and verse 28. Here were the Pharisees who were out giving out this spin to the people. But Jesus was doing all these things that he was doing by the prince of demons. Right in the midst of that kind of thinking, in verse 28, we find not a scholar, not an educated person, we find a woman who dares to be different from the crowd. And we're told there in verse 27, and as he said these things, 
a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So here was a woman, at least we are told, who was not willing to buy the spin of the the Pharisees, that Jesus was an agent of Satan. She saw in him one who is lovable, one who is admirable. And she gave out this blessing, this benediction upon him, if you like, this beatitude that says of him, you know, blessed is the woman who gave you to us. Blessed are the breasts at which you nursed. And giving the impression that the blessing really lay in having some kind of physical connection to this person, the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't rebuke her outrightly. But he does correct her nonetheless with a beatitude of his own. And he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And remember that he says this in light of that wonderful statement in verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me. Scatters. And Jesus, in answer to that independent minded woman, answer to that woman who was willing to be different from what the Pharisees would have wanted her to believe, the Lord Jesus is kind to correct her. And to say a real blessing, as far as God's word is concerned, lay in those who hear God's word and receive it as God's word. And not only hear and receive, but keep it. This is what James the Apostle tells us, that we are blessed if we are not only hearers, we are doers of God's word. Elsewhere, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples, says, this is the way in which you're going to prove that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you going to prove it? That you hear his word and you keep it. Now, perhaps there's no better way to understand that particular statement than what the Apostle John says in 1 John and chapter 3. 1 John and chapter 3. And you read the last two verses, which is verse 23 and verse 24. 
That's John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. So the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to that woman who speaks a commendation of Christ. He says, blessed rather are those who hear God's word. Blessed are those who believe God's word. And in this context, those who embrace the Lord Jesus and follow him, obeying him as their Lord and Savior. You recall in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the very conclusion of that sermon, he speaks about two men building two houses. And he says, anyone who hears this word of mine and obeys it is like a man who built a house and he dug on the rock and that house was firm when the trials of his life and the floods and the wind, they beat that house. That house is going to stand for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to rescue sinners just like you and me. That is what it means to be blessed. It is to embrace the Lord Jesus. It is to run to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to recognize that I cannot in my own power obey God. I don't have that ability. I am totally incapacitated because of the fall, because of sin, and I need a savior who alone is able to transform me and make me a brand new person, to give me his Holy Spirit and to cause me to walk in his ways. That is the person who is blessed indeed. That is the person who has the favor of God. He is not relying on some Judeo-Christian values alone. He is relying upon Christ. He is depending upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he brings forth the fruit of the Spirit. And he lives a life in which there is obedience to the commands of Christ. Because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not obeying God just because he's been told to. He's obeying God because he wants to. Because God, by his grace, has worked this miracle of grace, giving him a new heart, a heart that hungers and thirsts 
after righteousness. And you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount? That is the person who is blessed indeed. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they and they alone shall be satisfied. God, by his wonderful grace, has come in the Lord Jesus Christ to come and rescue a people for his own honor, for his own glory. And he does it through the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ascends to the right hand of God. And he sends his Holy Spirit, who is working even as we speak in the hearts of men, bringing them spiritual death, rather bringing them from spiritual death into spiritual life and making them those who are willing to obey Jesus Christ and so willing to obey him that it is their greatest honor to live for Christ. It is their greatest joy to live for Jesus in this present evil world. That they can be able to say, if I had a thousand lives, I want to leave them all for Christ. Why? Because of what Christ has done. A recognition that I cannot contribute in any way to my salvation. Indeed, the only contribution to my salvation is the sin that makes the death of Christ necessary. That's my only contribution. And so I come to him and I cry to him for mercy, for pardon, and for cleansing. And like we read of the prodigal son, God is only ready to welcome them, to cleanse them, and to give them his power. To live for his honor and for his glory. These are the ones who are on the Lord's side. These are the ones who are going to please God. Indeed, these are the ones who at the end of their lives, the Lord is going to say to them, welcome good and faithful servant. And the question that you must ask yourself at the end of the day is this. Are you on the Lord's side? Is that your experience dire warning that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. The only thing to your name is outward morality. 
only thing to your confession is that you are a man who is seeking to live to please God in your own strength. That is your only testimony. You have morality, human goodness, perhaps even being a member of a church. But you are devoid of the grace of God that transforms the heart, that causes you to love your, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, loving him ever so that you might confirm that your love for him is oftentimes weak, but you nonetheless love him and you want to live for his honor and for his glory. The greatest sadness of your heart is that somehow, despite the fact that he has loved you and sent his son to die for you, that somehow you still find it within yourself to sin against such a gracious God. That is the biggest sorrow of your heart. The thing that bothers you more and more is that you do have the tendency to sin against the God you love. That is your experience. The Lord Jesus Christ says you are blessed indeed. It is only a matter of time. He will sanctify you wholly. And the day is soon to come when he will completely sanctify you and make you to be the spitting image of Jesus Christ morally that you will become as he is when he comes. That is going to be your portion, your blessing that you love God's word and you want to keep it. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to live for him. Once again, in closing, beware of that warning. If all you have is church membership, if all you have is just human morality, you stand really vulnerable to eight demons, according to Jesus. Real vulnerable. You may not believe they exist. Perhaps that might actually be the reason you believe they don't exist. Because they have completely overwhelmed and deceived you already. But if all you have is human morality, if all you have is religion, if all you have is the church, <coughs> that is going to be your end. I wonder how many of you have read the story of Charles Darwin. 
Uh, Charles Darwin was a man who was in preparation to become an Anglican priest. And then his nine-year-old daughter died. And he never forgave God for having taken away his daughter. And you know how Charles Darwin ended up. And this is actually the most important point. It is not the harlots. It is not the criminals. It is not people like Zacchaeus who were insulting Jesus. It was the Pharisees. It was the scribes. <coughs> they are the ones who said to him, you are doing this because you are an agent of Satan. It was the religious people finally who so waked the people up that they all turned against Jesus and cried out on that day, crucify him and give us Barabbas. Once again, that warning. Whose who side you are? Jesus or morality and religion? The choice is yours. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful that you have given to us warning upon warning. Even this morning, reminding us of the spiritual danger that we stand if we do not come as guilty sinners to the Lord Jesus. We pray this morning that your word will find real room in our hearts and will be the means to lead us to Christ, to love him, to live for him, and to obey him. This we ask. In his precious name, amen. We now invite all those who trust in Jesus to participate with us in communion. My brother Chris will uh, distribute the emblems. And once again, we give that warning that we often give. Unless you have repented of your sin and embraced Jesus Christ as we have sought to explain this morning. Uh, you are better off to let the emblems pass by. But remember that these emblems are a witness of God's gracious concern for your soul. They are reminding you that God has brought a salvation for guilty sinners like you and me. And that salvation comes through the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And whose death, even this morning, we commemorate. Let this be a visual to you of God's amazing grace, God's amazing love to a guilty and a sinful world. 
that his precious blood cleanses, that he himself, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said. Let's pause for prayer. Our Father, we thank you once again that we have this very important moment to think about what your son, the Lord Jesus, means to us. And especially when we think about his deliberately giving himself over in death on the cross, at Calvary's cross. We thank you that he did that because it was the will of God for him to do that. But he also did that because he wanted to save us from our sin. And there was no other way in which guilty, unworthy sinners like us can be saved except through the shed blood of your son Jesus. And so once again, we want to fix our thoughts on him and think of him when he cried out to God. That cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We thank you that he was forsaken so that we might be accepted. That he, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us. So that those of us who are guilty sinners might become the righteousness of God in him. And so as we think about Calvary, as we think about Jesus Christ suffering on that cross, we thank you, our loving Father, that that is indeed what we all need. We need a Savior sent from God to save us from our sins. And we thank you that he indeed saves us by dying on the cross as he did. He bore the wrath of God and made a sacrifice of himself. Most importantly, that that sacrifice was accepted of God because on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving to us 
that the father had fully accepted that sacrifice. Once again, we thank you for his death. And we pray that our thoughts this Lord's day may be sanctified in such a way that we might bring glory and honor to your majestic name. Do hear us now because we ask in his precious name. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together and be thankful. In the same way also he took the cup, the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup and be thankful. And in closing, I'll ask us to stand and we sing our closing hymn, Wonderful, Merciful, Savior.
people of God receive the benediction of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.